0: I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. Darren Hinch, welcome to That's Life.
1: Good to be back, Sunshine
0: uh there's been some good weather uh here in melbourne what do you think of the summer by the way
1: oh it's been it's been lovely i mean i've been i I walk to the botanic gardens on my goya walks six out of seven days a week and it's it's just beautiful there. and and it's been a bit of rain has been coming in as well so a lot of greenery around no it's uh it's Look, it's been an, an unusual summer. The other day, we, we hit 33, 34 degrees, I and mean, a lot of people don't like that much heat. But uh, we, we've got on it pretty well, especially after the rest of the suffering that people have gone through.
0: Yeah, well, February's always uh, pretty much the hottest month. Uh, yeah. We haven't had the bushfires that we've had in previous years.
1: Oh, well, keep your fingers crossed that we don't, because it's still, still only February well, can true, true. Well, we have, we've had some in WA, which have been pretty awful, small but but, but deadly. As they always are
0: yeah now uh, i saw you walking into the uh andrew peacock memorial the the other day we, we, that was a state funeral you get invited to that do you
1: you do uh, you can apply um and they let you know if you're in or not um andrew is best man at my wedding so i've done him pretty well for a long time i'll tell you two quick things about him uh years and years ago this is going back to the oh, 1970s i suppose Peter Costigan, who became a Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Costigan was in Washington as a White House correspondent for the Herald and Weekly Times, and uh, I was in Washington covering some story. and I get a call from Costigan saying, "Hey, listen, I'm meeting this politician called Andrew Peacock from Melbourne. It's a pain in the ass, but I've got to meet up with him at the press club, <laughs> and, and I'm running late. So can you go for me?" I said, "Okay." So I turn up, and I meet for the first time in my life Andrew, a young Andrew Peacock and costigan turns up eventually and there's another man there called ross mark who was an australian journo who was also the dean of the, for the london daily express he was also the dean of the washington press corps at the white house the white house press corps so he was fairly substantial so the four of us there having a, a beer at the national press club and when andrew died last year i suddenly hit me i'm the only one left hmm The three of them, they've all died. And uh, as you get older, I said, you start reading the obituary columns to see if you get a mention, you know. Yeah, Yeah. well, that's... uh, uh, Now, listen, I can ask you this question. Um, I don't know how religious you are, but people behave strangely in cathedrals and churches. They don't know whether you should applaud or not. Now, at Andrew's memorial, now it's a year since he died, it wasn't his funeral, and I believe when people make lovely stories and, and Jeff Kennett told some good ones, including the infamous phone call between him and and andrew uh, over john howard and uh scott morrison finished his speech and nobody applauded and then jeff finished his and nobody clapped and then friedenberg did his and nobody clapped and i thought well when annie peacock got up the daughter and made a lovely speech about her dad at the end of it i don't care if i was one man clapping i started applauding and thankfully, the rest of the audience congregation <laughs> did too. <laughs>
0: now, what would you have done had uh, no, one, no one followed you? Would you have kept going or just stopped?
1: Yes, I would have kept going because I believe I believe it's right, and I've you know you're allowed to laugh at funerals because you get some funny stories, you know. I well, well the funerals
0: are, uh, look look. I've been to some wonderful. It's a celebration funerals. as well. Yes, you know, yeah. yes. I remember going to Frank Hardy's funeral. At oh, the, yeah. uh, the Collingwood Town Hall, and it was uh, it was like a, a, a forum almost in a way. Uh, it was his funeral because his coffin was there. Uh, John Fane should Fain, be a forum. Yeah, John Fane was the be. was the MC, and lots yeah, of people got up and told some really funny stories. Gough Whitlam was there as well, actually, uh, and it's probably one of the the best funerals I've ever been to. I love those. You know, so yeah, I don't you, like you the religious bored. part of it, you know, because because it, it's boring. Uh, but the, the the actual stories about the person who who's died, wonderful stories.
1: Well, I went to a Catholic funeral once. I think it was for Gary Meadows, the radio guy, and he may not well well not have been there because there's they banned eulogies and things, and so there was no it was he wasn't there. You know what I mean? It was you love to hear the stories about people. Um, Um, I I think funerals
0: are changing Um, A lot of people now don't have funerals at churches Uh, Mm. They they have them at funeral homes or, or something like that and uh, it's all, I, I, I've, actually, I've actually done a funeral myself. I'm, I'm not a priest or anything, but uh, uh, these uh, friends of mine, their dad died and he was uh, not religious and they, they asked me if I would emcee the funeral and speak, uh, you know, I'd read, I'd read something from the family. So, so I did the whole thing and it was all about the person who died, nothing about religion or anything like that.
1: Well, well my, my I've already planned my funeral. It's going to be at the comedy theatre.
0: Well, I reckon it'll be a great funeral too. I hope it doesn't happen for a long time, but
1: uh... so do I. But I, I, I think that's the way to go, you know, and uh, and tell stories and, and etc. I, I did, I did catch up, I bumped into Annie Peacock yesterday actually, uh, and just a couple of, a day after her father's memorial, and I told a, a personal story to her that. I remember it well for more than one reason. But the morning after Jackie and my wedding uh, and Andrew being best man was meant to be in charge of things, and he was in the middle of an election, at the federal election, and I offered him to pull out of being best man. I said, you're too busy. He said, no, I'll do it. But next morning, he's up very early out campaigning, and he had a car driver by the name of Les Patterson, believe it or not, from, <laughs> from Dame, Dame Edna and uh, Barry Humphreys. So his, his, real, his driver's real name was Les Patterson. But Andrew, being a diligent best man, I put change into my wedding gear and he had my suit and my other jacket and my credit cards in the back of his car. And so I can't check out of the Regent Hotel because I don't have any money. I have no identification. I have to tr- race around and track down. He's out campaigning. He had to track down Les Patterson saying, can you please bring my trousers back, my clothes back because <laughs> I'm at the Regent. Jackie and I are just married when we go home, but we we can't. I haven't got a credit card, so that's why I also remember it. But it was it was, look, it was a lovely service. Um, the the I'll, I'll be honest. Being an atheist, the uh, the religious stuff uh, didn't hit me hard. But I was very lucky because at the very as I left, for religious people, the Archbishop of Melbourne said. And God bless you, Dara. <laughs> so I had a day, a day, a day of ablution. Um, of, 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 of there you go. Now, just back to
0: how how these uh, state funerals all work. Uh, you, you you applied to be there because you were his friend, or, or you got sent an invitation. Uh, I, no,
1: I got I got an invitation, but I would have applied, and people do apply, and and they write back and say yes, you're in, or you're not in. And um, like with the the police memorial, you had to apply, and they said yes, you've got a seat, etc. Number, and with uh, this one, they there was the PMO's office, I guess, uh, handles this one. So it was a federal funer- uh, funeral, memorial service with uh, federal flags flown at half mast in, in Andrew's honour. But yeah, you, but you can apply, and sometimes you get there, you don't. Um, I've, I've been before. I've said that people, some people, should not have had state funerals, and I believe that. I don't believe, even though Richard Pratt was an acquaintance of mine, I don't believe he should have had one because. Of, because of the, uh, the, the the financial rorts that went on uh, in his business, and I certainly don't think Peter Brock should have had a state funeral because of his his history of uh, domestic violence. Mm. Now, I, I I doubt that Glenn Wheatley uh, probably would not have been offered or got a state funeral because he'd been to jail. Um, I certainly won't get one as <laughs> so I've been to jail. Um, and but but usually, it is, a, it is a don't get me wrong. It is a great honour and. Uh, and I remember one of the wonderful ones I went to was, was Weary Dunlop.
0: Yeah, I remember when he died, that was uh, in the early 90s, I think it was, because uh, if he, anyone who lives in Melbourne, there's that wonderful, famous statue in St, yeah. St. Kilda Road, uh, yeah. and it, just that little... It, it's, just, it's,
1: just, it, it's just across the road from a building I've been trying to get for the veterans since I was a senator, so... I'm
0: hoping one day we can. Yeah, it's it's an iconic stuff, it really is. When I drive past, I always think about, I was there the day it opened, actually. There was a big media event happening. And uh, it was, uh, what a wonderful guy Weary Dunlop was. Did you ever meet him, by the way?
1: Uh, Yes, I did, and he, uh, he was an amazing man. He genuinely did not hate the Japanese after he got home. You know, he actually did not hate them uh, when you would expect that he would have, because he, he suffered under them and he had to say try and save men and men who died uh, in the concentration in the in the prisoner war camps. And uh, he, but he was a genuinely passionate man. And ironically, the building I'm trying to, to get back for the veterans was it was a former rehab hospital that that Weary served in. In, in the 1930s and 40s so because he, he was a doctor wasn't on. he uh, weary yes double, he was though. he was he was indeed yeah, yeah. and uh, and so this would be a great tribute to the, to the there so there we are now soon this weeks the last couple of weeks have been some big ones because uh, we had the stuff with um uh what the what the uh, herald sun called the three stooges
0: Yes, well I wanted to ask you about Fiona Patton because she was being interviewed by Neil Mitchell on 3AW and he asked about you and your Justice Party MPs and her response was something like, oh I don't listen to Darren Hinch anymore, he's irrelevant. What do, you, what do you say to all that? I don't know how you well, can be got, irrelevant because you've got two MPs in well, the upper house. she's got one there. and
1: I've got... Yeah, she's got two and I've got one. Um, sorry, she's got one and I've got two. So I don't think it's irrelevant. But the, the Herald Sun um, um, ran this this good story, a political story, under the headline, The Three Stooges, um, because you've had Fiona Patton and Andy Medic and Samantha Ratham. They have supported the, the Labour government every which ways. And to the extent, and I said the Herald Sun, when I, was, I didn't call them, they called me for, it, for it, some quotes. And I said, look, in the crossbench, we don't even think of those three anymore. But we regard them as an extension of the government because you know they're going to vote with the government every time in lockstep. And, and they have. And I said, well, so when you're at the next election, state election in November, just think when you vote for them, you're voting for the, gov- the, the Labour government. Because even way back when they had the early contentious state of emergency legislation, which um, we opposed because they, they didn't have parliamentary oversight, which I think it should have had. And Patton and, 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 and the other two voted in favour of the government and they, it kept going. Um, and it makes me angry at times. They All three of them at times have talked about you know transparency and government transparency and public service transparency. When it came up, whether well, we should refer the red shirts to, uh, to, to IBAC, they voted with the government against it. Now, we got the numbers up because because a couple of a ex-Labour person and a Labour person crossed the floor, and it will go back to IBAC, as it should, because I know it's been investigated before, but last time around when the police investigated it, Cabinet members and many other Labour MPs would not cooperate and did not give evidence. So it should be done and will be done because hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayers' money went to pay ALP, quote, backpackers and workers' red shirts, to get them get them re-elected that was wrong
0: yeah a- a- absolutely um uh, the the thing about the, the the three stooges that you mentioned their fiona Patton being uh, one of the well, i'm not calling them that but that's what the herald sun ca- yeah. called them uh, obviously they've done a a deal with the government to get whatever their pet cause is up and in return, they've told the government, "We will support you in every vote, because uh, they have never voted against the government, to my knowledge."
1: Well, that is true. Look, uh, the crossbench should not be in lockstep with the government, but but exactly uh, equally as important, the crossbench should not be just verbally supportive of the opposition either, you know, you should hold them both to account and vote every vote on its vote and on its merits.
0: It's obvious to me that all three of them have done a deal with the government for whatever it is that they are passionate about.
1: Yes, that's right. Well, you've got to be careful there, you know, I mean, I I, I got through, thanks to Peter Dutton, I got through the, uh, through government, through cabinet. the. Public register for uh, convicted sex offenders, and that's now gone back to the state premiers. So the, the federal government's on record supporting me, but I didn't make any deals. I didn't make deals with Malcolm Turnbull or, or or Scott Morrison and say, hey, give me this and I'll give you that. It's not the way it works. You know, it, that's the way it, it does. It is the way it works. It shouldn't work that way.
0: Well, it's, it's politics, but I think people should know what what's going on, yeah. and, that, and that that ha- actually has uh, has happened. The the label- oh,
1: ironically, ironically, sorry, ironically, in that Herald Sun piece, I said that Fiona and she dismisses me as irrelevant. I said Fiona Patton's had some good ideas over the years in recent times, and I, I'm not going to be blinkered and say she hasn't. But you can't just be in lockstep with a government, any government.
0: Well, you can be, but you've got to be judged uh, <laughs> yeah, by, by that. Be. Yeah, and you should be. Yeah, uh, the the Labour MP that crossed the floor that allowed this, uh, uh, you know, motion Both. to be to be put to uh, mm. and, and passed, uh, Kashalia. Oh, I've forgotten her. So she's of uh, Indian uh, background. Mm. Um, what what are your two Justice Party uh, MPs? Have they had any contact with her? Because I'd never heard of uh, her.
1: No, but we we uh, we. Um we're thrilled that she did cross the floor and vote. Uh, I made the made the point though that the other ex-Labor man who's who brought it all about. I said, don't treat him as a white knight. I mean, if he hadn't been in court, he wouldn't have gone public. Um, but in her case, um, look, I'm thrilled she crossed the floor and we got it up with the red shirts. But I think it should be kept in mind. Um, she she lost pre-selection for the next state election, so she ain't going to be pro. Andrews will pro the Labor Government in a minute, is she?
0: Well, she'd be pretty angry about it, but I guess on, yeah, the, other I- si- on the other side, it allows her to say what she really thinks because she's yeah. got nothing to lose.
1: I haven't read it. She says she's scared of Dan Andrews, which I found heavier. I haven't. been be fair, I haven't read that. So I will go back. I haven't read the stories. Yeah. Well, she, she makes some uh,
0: allegations saying that she felt in, uh, uh, threatened. Yeah, I think because intimidated. I, I, she, she was. She was part of his uh, socialist left faction, and she went to another faction, which I think was Adam Symeurek's faction and uh, then yeah. she got phone calls yeah, from the premier's office and uh, all sorts of stuff that she makes allegations uh about which i i guess you know they're allegations uh i, I see matthew guy saying i believe her and they uh, should be believed <laughs> i i see the treasurer tim palace say you know i worry about her mental state now i find that offensive too well, uh, that's
1: a normal. It's a, yeah. It's a normal political reaction, isn't it, to cast aspersions uh, on somebody like that? Yeah, I agree with you. I think, and also, look, I've still, I've never in all my life, even before I got into politics, I find factions just so so bizarre. You know, and it's very much a Labour thing, more so than the Libs. Libs, although I must admit, a, a senior, a, a senior Victorian Liberal when I was a senator once said to me, he said, "You got to understand Victorian politics, Liberal politics, Darren." I said, well, okay, why? He said, well, there are two factions to the Liberal Party in Victoria. I said, okay. He said, yeah. There are people who hate Michael Kroger, and there are people who don't hate him yet. <laughs>
0: Well, there used to be the wets and the dries in, right, in, in yeah. federal parliament and, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the the, the the ones that were the moderate and the ones that were the uh, the, the, the far right. Uh, every party that's a large party has those factions, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: well, the, the Democrats are struggling with it, with the progressives and and the others in, in the US, you know. And the Republican Party has just locked itself in very much with... Uh, With Trump, and even over January 6th, the rebellion, uh, they locked in with Trump. But uh, the Democrats have progressives, you know, to the extent of Bernie Sanders, who I believe could never have been elected the same way George McGovern was too left wing, and he was far, he was was a Genghis Khan compared to Bernie Sanders. Um, So, I, I mean, America will never elect. A, a total left winger because they tag them as a socialist or a communist, mm-hmm. and that that bites well with the uh, with the electorate.
0: Michael Kroger, you you mentioned him. I, I noticed he was at uh, Andrew Peacock's memorial yes. because he was once married to a- Anne Peacock. Annie. I don't know whether they've divorced or I know they have separated. Uh, what he he's a he's a divisive figure as you've as you've said. Have you had yeah, we,
1: any? Yeah, look, I've I've known Michael as as a as a friend, especially as Annie, Anne's partner, for umpteen years. But when I was in the Senate and we we're going for um, um, re-election, and you're looking at how to vote cards, uh, Kroger has fallen out with me. He doesn't like me anymore because my staff and, and we made a deal that because every time you 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 put up a lower house candidate, it costs you money, you know, as uh, their fee and. We agreed. I think I, I'm a bit hazy now, but we, I think we agreed that we put up candidates in six um, six uh, house electorates, and, El, and and Kroger agreed. And out of the blue, he suddenly said to,
0: well, like, Why Mark, would he Mark, need Mark, to? Why would Kroger need to agree?
1: Uh, because he he was the run of the boss of the Liberal Party, and sometimes you put candidates up in seats where the Liberals might help, and sometimes you put them up in seats where Labour might might do well. Uh, so okay, talking, right, right. So it, it becomes very complex, but. At the last minute, he said, oh, I want, I want you to stand in 12 seats, not six. And I said, we don't have money, and we don't get thousands of dollars from big companies when you're a minor party. And we, we should no, we've got a deal to do this, and we'll stand by it. And he said, "Well, all bets are off, and we'll campaign against you." So, you know, it got very, very, very nasty. It was just sad because personally, I, I like Michael. I think he, I think he does well on Sky. Um, when he's up there doing the Mr. Left and Mr. Right, uh, you know, as well. But there he, we
0: are. He's always been a strange character to me because he, he you know, he's hovered. He, he never. In the, he
1: didn't stand. I mean, he's
0: hovered he, in the background. Know. Yeah, he was yeah. good mates with Peter Costello when they were at university. I don't know whether they're still yeah. good friends or whether Probably, they've yeah. fallen out. Uh, and then I hear that he had links with. Hey, Peter
1: Peter Costello was sitting in front of me at the uh, Memorial for Andrew, and Peter, you need a haircut.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Looking a bit shaggy, was
1: he? A bit shaggy, yeah. yeah. The one thing about Costello was really I sympathise with him, and you get the Twitter trolls, and they they try to post these ideas that, that the people like Peter Fitzsimons and every age or city monitor or columnist or writer, takes the instructions from Peter Costello, who's the chairman of Channel 9, which owns Fairfax now, right? Peter Costello would have no idea what Peter Fitzsimons was going to write. And if he called Peter Fitzsimons and said, I think you should do this topic, Fitzsignons would say, go get nicked. People have this misguided idea. When I was at Fairfax, I didn't get a call once as editor from Sir Warwick Fairfax to demand that a story be written by so and so in this manner or form, and and you would have told the chairman of the board, sorry, sir, I'm the editor.
0: They they think that there's some big massive conspiracy, and yeah. uh, and the guy at the top is pulling all the strings, and I'm sure you know, it probably has happened. Murdoch has... Yeah,
1: Murdoch sacked editors because they didn't get on with him anymore, and uh, I'm sure Fairfax have too. I-, I resigned as editor. I never wasn't sacked. But and, and I can honestly tell you, Tony, I've never been instructed in all my years in journalism, even 3OW, I was never instructed by the bosses on what angle to take on a story. I mean, we did the what Darren James used to call the hinge pull-through at 8.30 every morning, which is my opening editorial, I never got a... Management didn't even know what I was going to say. The only people who occasionally would see it, very occasionally, were the lawyers in case it was close to being defamatory.
0: Well, they don't want that, do they? Uh, I, I notice... Uh, I've been watching very closely what's been happening with uh, the Victoria Cross uh, recipient, Ben Roberts, oh, yeah. the soldier... And uh, he's taking action against the uh, Nine Network for a series of articles which allege that he's a war criminal. And well, I tell you, uh, I
1: tell you what, mate. Um, having read the evidence, I'm not going to go into it. Well, we don't. It, we, we, we better read, not get rid sort of it. No, any... we're not. No, no, I'm not going to. I'm just going to say to you, I'm, I read it every day in the the Asian City Morning Herald and, and online, and I'm thinking, Robert Smith, he brought this legisl- he brought this court case. He's not. A, he's not a defendant. He's the. He's, he's the plaintiff, and the stuff coming out, the allegations and the evidence against him, is is damning.
0: Well, their allegations made are the. He, 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 his lawyers are saying some of the stories are not true, outright lies, all that sort of stuff. So we don't want to prejudge what's happening before no. before it happens, but just fascinating. To uh, hear all of those uh, stories, and uh, you know, uh, he's
1: lucky. He's lucky to have the financial backing from Kerry Stokes who can lend him some money because he he's a he hasn't actually, actually um, he's actually I think the general manager of Channel Seven Brisbane. He's on he's on leave at the moment while the court case is on, but uh, he he's very much uh, he, he, Kerry Stokes is very fond of the man. So anyway, leave it uh, there. The, the
0: the situation with Daniel Andrews though, and and the red shirts, uh, mm-hmm. Darren. Um, what do you think will happen there? I mean, the Ombudsman uh, will look at it because she said that she's she released a statement saying she would, but then she's got to refer it to IBAC. Now, if she refers it to IBAC, then these MPs have to give evidence...
1: Well, it was disgusting—not disgusting, disgusting disgraceful—the last time when the police were trying to investigate something, and umpteen members of parliament, like I, my gut feeling tells you it was about fifteen or sixteen. There were sixteen, of them.
0: I think. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, refused to cooperate. Now, what sort of investigation is that? And I, I thought the police would be able to force them to. Um, well, to what do got something. me though
0: was that uh, some of these MPs signed statutory declarations saying these workers were actually doing government, taxpayer work, when in fact they were doing work for the Labour Party to get re-elected. Now, I would have thought just on that alone, without needing any other evidence, if you falsely sign a statutory declaration, you've committed an offence.
1: Well, I would have thought so. And and it's turned out now. You had... uh They called them red shirts because that's what they gave them. All these volunteers, supposed volunteers, there were people who were were on government, who were on taxpayer-funded salaries, and all they were doing was working to get Labour MPs re-elected. Now, that, that, that there was no government work involved at all. I think someone probably wouldn't even know where the office was.
0: Darren, no, we're about to wrap up, but just quickly, back to Glenn oh. Wheatley and, and his death. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we, we, uh, he, very oh,
1: sad, oh. very sad. I mean, Glenn, Glenn um, did have health problems. He was in hospital for health problems and uh, got COVID in hospital. Right. The, I don't know.
0: I, 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 I'm not sure how he... So he had underlying health issues. Yeah, he, uh, he, he?
1: he was in hospital only. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you, if you have underlying health matters, issues, and you get COVID... Without COVID, you may have lived another 10, 15 years. So I dismiss that argument. But okay, well, I'm, not, is I'm just
0: saying as it clarifies yeah. it because just for him to die like this, because he, yeah, he, he was he, a young he, man, he, you know, he wasn't Yeah, he was, old. In, hosti-
1: yeah, he, he was in hospital uh, for another condition, but he got COVID in hospital and died quite quickly. Um, look, I've known Glenn, oh, for umpteen years. A picture appeared uh, after he died on Twitter, and it was I think it might have been the opening of the Ivy Nightclub. It was me and Glenn Wheatley... 30 years ago in and I laughed when I saw it because I'm there with Glenn and I'm a typical hench at the time, I'm adroitly holding two glasses, one of in one hand, one of wine and one of water. I had this developer's habit of having two glasses, wine and water and I'd drink both of them, you know, <laughs> so I figured it meant I didn't get hangovers and I didn't get hangovers. <laughs> um, but my best Glenn Weekly story, I think, and we I've met him, after him, and we we both were in the same jail at one stage in the in Map the Metropolitan um, Assessment Prison, and uh, we had some talks about life there. He didn't handle prison very well at all. But um, sorry,
0: you were both in the same jail
1: at the different same times, time. Different oh, times. No, no, times, different, right. times, different oh. times. Different times. Different times. But we we, we I could tell him just the same size of the cell and where we were both sleeping. But anyway, he. I mean, we all know the story about how he. Um, Mortgage his house to, to fund Whispering Jack, John Farnham's big comeback album, right? And he did, and it became one of the biggest selling albums in Australian history. And Jackie and I were in the, in, the, in the video for You're the Voice. But years later, Glenn told me... Oh, I'll tell you two quick stories. One was that um, he would get so emotionally involved and nervous about a Farnham concert that weekly would throw up. So the manager would vomit because he's so worried about his star doing a good job. wow! Well, yeah. And that, what commitment is that, you know? Um, and the other story I can, I can tell you, is is not publicly known, I suppose, but it doesn't hurt him, um, he, got, he, he got jailed for, for tax evasion during that, uh, that, that uh, case which he was made the, uh, the star uh, scalp. And he actually, had, by cooperating with the uh, DPP and the investigators, He'd made a deal with them that he wouldn't go to jail. Okay, yeah, the Wittenby—I think it was called—that that investigation, and when they found some guy's um, computer in a hotel room, uh, showed, I think
0: Paul Hogan was
1: also. Yes, Paul Hogan. Yeah, it showed a lot of yeah. famous people who were who were being who were being listening to crooked advice out of Switzerland how to avoid paying tax. So I don't have no sympathy. I mean, you know, you you got to pay tax for for all to live. But anyway, I'm sure he had a deal with the DPP that he wouldn't go to jail if he cooperated, and, 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 et cetera. When they get to court, I think it was, it may have even been Betsy King was the, the judge, and uh, his lawyers get up and sort of start to make the speech. And and, and she says, like she did with um, Carl Williams, you know, she said, I don't make deals with the DPP. You, know? you bring your stuff before me, I'm paraphrasing here, and I'll decide whether a person goes to jail or not. Good on her. Yeah, and she said, I, I, you may do deals who you like, but I don't do deals. I'm the judge. I'm on the bench. I stress on paraphrasing. And she said, well, I decide. And so she jailed Glenn against the advice he'd got from the DPP for 15 months, right? And understandably, his his lawyer appealed against it. And one day, on the day of the appellate court hearing, Glenn's sitting in his prison cell, where he'd moved out of map by this stage, sitting in his prison cell in his suit waiting to go home. And his lawyer, and I won't name him because I can't quite remember, um, was up before the appellate court, the appeals court, and started to make the case, very quickly started to make the case for his client and the excessive sentence. And one of the appeal court judges said, um... My, may I just advise you, not warn you, but may I just advise you that when you come before an appeals court, we have the capacity and the power to increase your sentence as well as <laughs> as well as reduce it.
0: <laughs> uh, that would have uh, <laughs> gone down like a lead balloon. <laughs> well,
1: as we used to say in the old days, like a fart in a space suit. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, his lawyer was smart enough to pick up on this and ask for a 15-minute adjournment which he got. And he goes back and he phones Glenn, who'd been sitting on his bed in his getaway suit, and he said, we're dropping the appeal. Yeah. And Whitney says, why? He said, when you get a message like that from a judge... You don't go any further. Don't it risk was very it. good advice. I mean, you never hear judges saying, you know, we and they do have the right. They never stress it, but we have the right to increase your sentence, your yeah. client's sentence, as well as decrease it. So the lawyers managed to say, hey, we drop on this, and then of course he he, he got um, five months of house arrest, and we had like an OJ Simpson. Well, car, yeah, J. that's
0: Simpson. what I remember. He was released from jail, and the helicopter news helicopters followed him all the way. He was in country Victoria somewhere. I'm not, I'm not sure what yeah. prison he was in, and they followed him yeah. all the way all the way, way back to Turak yeah. South Yarra there where he lived uh, yeah. not not far from Turak Road. Uh, he had a big life. Oh, the, the, mean- the,
1: the, the poor bugger he um he phoned me in tears once. He had the Ivy nightclub it was which was a disaster and cost him a lot of money and went broke uh, down in uh, in the city. But he phoned me from New York one day because his timing was so bad he'd just renegotiated a loan from the Pyramid Building Society. And he'd sold his house in Turak because he's getting short of money, but he had a loan to cover debts from the building society, Pyramid Building Society. And he's in New York, and the day Pyramid went broke. Mm. Mm. And so he and Gaynor suddenly he says to me, he called me for advice. He said, What can I do? I said, I have no idea. He said, I've got a loan which doesn't exist anymore. I've just sold my house. I have nowhere to live. I, I, look, I, make, I may be a bit dramatic here, but I think that Glenn and Gaynor and the family slept on, on her parents' floor for about a year while he tried to re, 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 rebuild Look, he was a very genuine guy. He was a very nice guy. I, I, I enjoyed his company immensely.
0: And uh, Gaynor stuck with him uh, through thick and thin, uh, through jail and all of those financial issues. Of course, uh, she
1: was a, she was a TV star, remember? And I Skyways.
0: remember her very well because <laughs> she she was also a swimming instructor at the uh, Greensboro Swimming Pool, and uh, well, I she didn't know was that. she was a beautiful looking lady. She she had Still that, is. that that Still glow, is. you know that uh, that the her skin glowed <laughs> like. Uh, <laughs>
1: Uh, ironically, ironically 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 i bumped into um sugodinsky and J- John and Jules Farnham across the road from my apartment just the other day they were on their way to a uh, very private um a very private uh observation of uh, of Glenn's death at, a, at, a, at an apartment across the road from me and uh, I saw about 15 people walking as if i dressed for a wedding and I suddenly saw John tap me a uh, jewel me on the shoulder and uh, I wasn't going. I was just sitting there in my. What's an observation?
0: What, what what does that mean? Oh,
1: well, it's like a celebration. Uh, oh, commemoration.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, right, and, right. And,
1: and I think about it was a little function for about fifteen people. Yeah.
0: Oh, there we are. Well, Darren, we're out of time, aren't we? We are way out of time. I think we may have gone way over. But uh, interesting oh. stories, absolutely. And uh, you never, you never. Um, <laughs> you, you well, I'm not, I'm not sure what the you 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 always come good is what I'm trying to say with uh, <laughs> with your Never fail, stories. never
1: fail to amaze you. There yeah, you go,
0: absolutely, right. Mr. Hinch. We'll talk next week.
1: Talk next week. Bye bye, mate.